Nothing has the power to save but your name, Jesus, and we, we truly believe that. And I'm so thankful for the understanding of that message. Let's pray together right now. Father God, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity to, to open your word together, to study it, and we just ask you to speak into our hearts, remove whatever barrier is there right now, whatever distraction, whatever things that um, Satan wants to put in the way, Lord, we just, in your, in your great name, we invite you into this place and ask you to speak into our hearts. In your most precious name we pray, amen. So I'm curious, how many of you enjoy fishing? Anybody, if you, are you a fisherman? Anybody enjoy fishing, like fishing? Many of you. Tim, do you like fishing at all? Oh, it's okay. So anyway, um, I, I, uh, I used to fish as a kid, and I just remember, you know, either I would lose my worm or I was really good at getting my lines caught in things, you know, and it's either like, you know, you love it or you hate the whole thing of fishing and stuff. But I've learned since my young years that even the professionals have trouble with fishing at times. A rod that's lightweight, that's extremely sensitive. Get gummit. You know, before you ever wet a line, you should always and I mean always, put some thought about what you're going to do. And what... kidding? You think I'm kidding? Look right there. You think I'm kidding? Look. <laughs> cool. And we got our batter. goodness it makes fishing so much more enjoyable when you get to see that kind of stuff did you know that um jesus was a fisherman as well but jesus cheated some when he was a fisherman and we'll, we'll look at that today in our story but it reveals just another uh, truth as we dig into this whole question of who is this man jesus and so Last week, we began a series um, that's kicking off our whole year as we spend time in the Gospel of Luke, all for the purpose of getting to know Jesus Christ better. And we're going to spend this month talking about this question, who is this man, Jesus? And so my desire um, for myself and for my family, my desire for us as a church, as your pastor is voiced by the prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17. And here's what Paul prayed. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And in this last part, I love that, so that you may know him better. 
And that's my prayer. That's my desire for me and my life through this year and for every single one of us that we would get to know Jesus Christ better. And the reason is, is because Jesus is the only one that can change us. We, we can't do that on our own strength and our own power. Only Jesus can change us. But what we're going to learn today is that Jesus can change us when we choose to have a humble heart that submits to him. And we, you all know this, but we live in a world in which many of the examples that we see in leadership really have no room for humility at all, but will do almost anything to hold on to their power. I mean, sadly, that seems to be kind of the predominant theme of anyone who, who goes to Washington, right? Anyone who's in a p position of power and authority, and it just seems to be in the whole political arena in, in the United States of America, and the consequences that we've been seeing are extremely evident. I mean, we have witnessed so much turmoil in America over the last you know, few days and few weeks and few months just because of a lack of humility among those who are in leadership over us. But I've learned something else. It's really easy to point the finger at somebody else, isn't it, and say, they're the ones that have the problem with humility. The reason I know that is because I struggle with pride. Man, in the, in the arenas of life that I lead in, like here in the church and my family and other places, you know, it's really hard for me to admit fault. It's really hard for me. You know, I don't know if it's because, you know, I see it as a sign of weakness. I know for me it's because you know, of my struggle with seeing that as like I'm a failure, you know, if I make some kind of a mistake there. Um, and you probably understand that, or at least many of you do, because you also wrestle with this issue of pride and struggling to have a humble heart. And the example that we're going to look at today and the response to what Jesus does in this miracle of Jesus, we're going to see an example that demonstrates a heart of real humility. And here's the thing that happens when we see this. We see that humility open the door for the amazing mercy and work of Jesus in his life and in all of our lives. And that mercy is what we all desperately need. And so we're in Luke chapter 5 today. So I want to invite you to you know, on your phone or your tablet, those of you who are online, make sure you have your Bibles open as well. Turn to Luke chapter 5 because we have Jesus, and he's on a fishing boat. He's doing some teaching on this fishing boat. But it ends up, what Jesus does, causing those people who witness it to say, who is this guy? Who is this man? Who is this Jesus? And it is our response to the amazing things that Jesus does. It is our response that reveals so much about your heart and my heart. And so, where we're kind of going today is this thought, amazement in Jesus. The more we get to know Jesus and the more we're amazed at him, what it does is it reveals our sinfulness. It reveals how messed up we are. But that also opens the door for the mercy of Jesus in your life and my life. And again, I hope that you're reading through the Gospel of Luke. I hope you're doing that um, just on your own or we've got some reading plans that you can use but our prayer is that we would get to know Jesus better and better. So I'm going to read Luke chapter 5. We're going to be in the first 11 verses. Let me read it out loud and then let's study together. Luke writes this, One day as Jesus 
was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up to the shore, left everything, and they followed him. So the setting of our story, where we're at here, is that we find Jesus in the first year of ministry. So he's pretty early on in ministry here. Now, Jesus was baptized. So here's kind of a map of the northern part of Israel. That's Galilee. That's the Sea of, Luke calls it Gennesaret. It's the Sea of Galilee. That's the same thing. And so Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And by the time we have our story, Jesus has made his way north of the Sea of Galilee. He's kind of on that north point of the Sea of Galilee. And he's very popular by this point. So much so that the people are crowding around him when he's doing his teaching. And so his answer to that is, what does he do? He steps into a boat to continue teaching. So look at, again, beginning in verse 1. He says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. I think it's interesting that Luke uses that phrase, the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So the people, you know, there were so many people, they were so enamored with Jesus, they were like crowding around Jesus to try to, you know, be able to get close to him at all. And so what Jesus does is he calls upon a couple of his friends, a couple of his followers to kind of help him here. See, Peter had already been introduced to Jesus at this particular point. It was his brother Andrew that came to Peter, and Andrew says, hey, you, you need to come meet the Messiah. We think we found the Messiah. So Peter's already been introduced to Jesus by this particular point. He's already spent some time with Jesus. So this isn't Jesus just looking around and picking out some random boat to be able to say, hey, let, let me go use that particular boat. Because Jesus never does random. Jesus doesn't just happen to do something. And you and I need to understand in our lives that he is always working through the circumstances and the situation in my life and your life to bring us closer to him. Now, we may ignore it and we may not pay any attention to it. We may not take advantage of it. But you need to understand God's love for you and me is so great that he's always working. He doesn't do random in our lives. So he points out the boat. He sits down and he begins to teach from the boat. Now, we don't know what he taught. We don't even know how long he taught there. But eventually, he turns to Peter with a request. So this is verse 4. 
It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now, don't you wonder what's going on in Peter's mind as Jesus is giving him these instructions right here? I mean, Peter's professional experience. So Peter was a fisherman, right? That's what his business, his family's business was. He knew about fishing. And so haven't you ever had a novice come to you when you're the expert and tell you how to supposed to do your job? I mean, I wonder what's going on in Peter's mind here as Jesus is saying, oh, why don't you go do this and you'll catch some fish? Peter knows from his experience, this wasn't the time to catch fish. We've already worked all night long, right? We haven't caught any fish. They're just not biting today. This is a hopeless cause. And I think we've all been there where maybe you're reading in the Bible and you come across a teaching of Jesus or a command of Jesus, or you're in your small group and you're discussing something and somebody reads a passage of scripture, or you know, you're listening to a message and you hear the word of God being proclaimed and a command being given. Haven't you ever encountered something like that and you look at it and you say, this, just, this does not make any sense at all? Love my enemies and to do good to those who hate you? Are you kidding me? Forgive others or whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself. Or it, It's the one who is least among you who is actually the greatest or don't worry about your life or sell your possessions and give to the poor. I mean, come on, Jesus. This doesn't make sense. This kind of stuff does not work in the real world. And so this, I think this stuff's going on in Peter's mind, but he doesn't respond that way, right? How does Peter respond? How does he answer Jesus? Verse 5. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. So he's got to get that in, right? He's got to make sure Jesus remembers what they've done. But then he says this, because you say so, I will let down the nets. But he begins this response with the, the title, Master. In other words, that, that particular word um, it involves a recognition of some kind of authority. That's what Peter is saying here. Um, he says, master, because he recognizes something about the authority of Jesus. He kind of gives the excuse, but then what does he say? Because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you asked me that. Obedience is always built on a relationship. See, this is why this year is so crucial for us to spend time getting to know Jesus Christ better. It is our relationship with Jesus, the more we know about him, that helps us take those steps of obedience. It is that relationship, getting to know his love for us and that he is all wise, getting to know that he has the best in mind for us. When we understand more and more about that in regard to Jesus, it leads us to this ability to be able to say, I don't get this, but because you say so, Jesus, I'm going to do this. And so what happens, beginning in verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When they had done so, when they had done what? What Jesus asked them to do. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He already had the power to accomplish this miracle. He was just waiting on their obedience. 
Now, obviously, Jesus knew something about fishing because he had created the fish, he had created the lakes, he had created the river, he had created all of that. He knew about that. But this is really more about him being divine. You see, his miracles, not just this one, but all the miracles, you know, they, they have a purpose, but at the heart of all of the purpose of the miracles is demonstrating that this isn't just some man, this isn't just some good teacher. This guy who's talking to us right now, he is divine. And then you also look at this and you say, Jesus never does miracles half-heartedly, does he? It's not like he gave them like a handful of fish. He gave them so many fish that their, both their boats begin to sink under the weight of how many fish he does. In fact, Luke, Luke used some words like such a large number, their nets begin to break, so full were the boats that they began to sink. And this is a, a cool item about Luke as he writes this gospel is that he is really specifically into details. Remember, again, he writes to this guy, most excellent Theophilus, to be able to help him grow in his faith, you know, to strengthen that faith. And so to Luke, eyewitnesses, which there were many of the story, and the details like this and sharing that kind of stuff, that was so important to him because this wasn't just some fisherman's whopper of a story. You know, I once caught a fish this big, right? That's not what this is. This is an account that is true, that's backed up by eyewitnesses. This is a miracle. And so how does Peter respond to this miracle? Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now, I think this is a critical point in Peter's relationship with Jesus Christ. I think this is like this defining kind of a moment. Because I think at this particular moment, G Peter went from kind of a half-hearted follower to just a sold-out follower for Jesus Christ. Because again, as I said, Peter already knew Jesus. He had already been introduced to Jesus. He had spent some time listening to the teaching of Jesus. He'd probably seen some of the miracles of Jesus but he was still half-hearted follower, and the reason we know that is because he's doing his job. You see, this was his family business. He is back doing what he's supposed to, or what he grew up learning that he was supposed to do. He was still on the job, earning an income, and part-time kind of following Jesus around. But this particular miracle changed everything for Peter, because Peter is totally aware of what this miracle means. He's not in the presence of a good man or a great teacher or even just a prophet. He is in the presence of Almighty God. And his response to that is what? I am unworthy. I, you shouldn't even be in my presence. Jesus, you need to go away. And he falls on his knees. And his response echoes a response of another individual in Scripture, a guy who was a prophet of God by the name of Isaiah. When he encountered God on his throne, Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, he says, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, Isaiah cries, I am ruined, 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, I don't know if that was in Peter's mind or not, but that was Peter. Peter felt like he was ruined. Something changed for Peter at this particular moment. Something clicks, and he recognizes who Jesus is, and he falls to his knees. But his was not the only response to this miracle, right? Beginning in verse 9. He says, Luke writes there, For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, they left everything, and they followed him. So there's that word again in, in verse 9. They were astonished. They were amazed. And it, it's this idea that something has happened that is, it's like it's overwhelming. It's like it's coming at you from all sides. And I can imagine them feeling that way as they're in the boats and they're about to sink and all these fish and they know Jesus has done that. It's almost too much for them to deal with. Plus, they'd been working all night. They hadn't caught anything to suddenly have you know, the catch of a lifetime. But Jesus has something greater in mind than just you know, providing them income for a whole year there. Jesus is calling them to a higher responsibility. His plan here with this miracle was not to give them the catch of a lifetime. His plan was to give them the most meaningful, significant purpose of his lifetime. And so Jesus says, don't be afraid. It wasn't fear of them sinking. It was fear of him which is often the response, you know, when you read through Scripture. In fact, so much so that some people say, Lord, I, you know, go away. We don't even want you around here anymore. From now on, though, Jesus says, don't be afraid because you're going to fish for people. So what did they do? They left it all to follow Jesus. They left their boats. They left their nets. They left their family. <laughs> they left... Enough fish that would have taken care of them for at least a year or even more. They left it all simply to follow Jesus Christ. They were astonished and they were amazed. And our amazement to Jesus over this year as we dig into God's word reveals our sinfulness. I mean, it's going to do that to us, but it's also going to reveal the mercy of Jesus Christ. See, what Peter does is when he recognizes who Jesus is, he says there, go away from me, Lord, for I am what? I am a sinful man. And so for all of us, there either has or there will come this point in time <clears throat> in which we recognize who we are before Almighty God, that he is a holy God, and that my sinfulness, the choices that I make, that I am without excuse or without justification for, that it is my sin that has separated me from a holy God. And as a Jewish man, Peter grew up hearing this. He knew that we can't be in the presence of God because of our own sinfulness. So his response to his own sinfulness was to say what? Get away from me, Jesus. Um, in other words, Peter was saying, I'm unworthy to even be in your presence. He feels that a sinner has no chance with a holy God. 
Ever felt that way? You look at your own choices in our past and, you know, the stuff that we don't want anybody else to know about that maybe we did back whenever it was. You ever feel like that as a sinner we have no chance with the holy God? What Peter at this particular moment doesn't realize is that admitting one's inability and one's sin is a prerequisite for opening the door to the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. See, Peter's confession, I'm a sinner, get away from me, is really his resume for his service. As one person says, humility is the elevator to spiritual greatness. I think that's why Jesus says to Peter and the others, don't, don't be afraid. It's one thing to know I'm a sinner and to somehow deny it. You know, it doesn't matter. But it's another thing to know who we are before God and, and humbly bow before him, recognizing our own sinfulness. So I wonder about you, because I know my own, you know, mess-ups in life. I wonder, do you ever sometimes try to deny the sin in our own hearts and lives? you ever try to do that at times or justify it? Or are we willing to recognize the sinful state of our own hearts? Romans 3.23, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, to admit our sinfulness is the most crucial step leading us to being able to receive the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And our admission of sin and our own failure, it doesn't make us unworthy. It opens the door for God to give his mercy to us. Sin all by itself doesn't disqualify us. When we give it to Jesus, when we reveal it to Jesus, when we admit our sin to Jesus Christ. And there are some people that are in this room and listening online that really need to hear this particular message. Your past does not disqualify you from the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. Your past does not disqualify you. Mine does not disqualify me from being used in a mighty way in the kingdom of God. But we struggle with that, don't we? Because we live in a world in which one mistake can get you booted out, right? Can cause a, it's the difference between success and failure and winning and losing. I remember the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. Both the men and women's U.S. team, the 4x100 relay team, both of them were disqualified because they dropped the baton on the past. One mistake and you're out. That's not how God operates. That's not how he does things. That's what makes God's way so amazing. Our sin doesn't disqualify us as long as we're willing to admit it and to surrender to Jesus because only Jesus can take the disqualified and give our lives meaning and significance and purpose. And this year, I want us to be amazed at Jesus Christ. Amazed at who he is, and, and as we see things and as we learn things about Jesus and we, as we encounter challenging lessons, right, and, and beneficial lessons to us, but as we're amazed at Jesus Christ, we're going to see our own sinfulness. We're going to see the areas of our life that we're just like, I, you know, I just I cannot believe that. But in the midst of that, 
as we give those things to him, we get to see his mercy and we get to see his grace. Um, When we fall on our knees like Peter did, what does he do? He lifts us up and he He gives us His love and His mercy and grace. He gives us a meaning and a purpose in life that we cannot imagine. And so I have a feeling that for some of us today, today's the day that we need to just humble ourselves and quit trying to hold on to our own pride and ego. For some of us, it's a day to repent of the stuff that we've allowed to get in the way between us and God, that to Him, it doesn't have to get in the way. Maybe all that's getting in the way of us being able to either receive initially the forgiveness of Jesus Christ or to allow God to work in and through us, maybe all that's getting in the way is our own understanding that my admission of sin leads to the mercy and grace because amazement at Jesus, it reveals our sinfulness, but it opens the door for God's mercy and God's grace. So we're going to take a couple of minutes for some time of reflection, um, for just to be able to have a time between us and God. We're going to listen to, and you're welcome to sing if you want to, or you can just stay in your seat, um, a song that has such a powerful message of the work of Jesus in the hearts of lives of those who are willing to admit and to surrender to him. And my prayer is today that maybe like Peter, right, like this event was like a defining event in Peter's life. Maybe for some of you today, today is this defining moment in which you move from just kind of half-heartedly following Jesus to being able to say, it's all you, Jesus Christ, it's all you. So let me pray for us, And then let's just remain seated as we spend some time worshiping and reflecting together today. Lord God, I am so grateful that you do not hold my past against me because of Jesus Christ. That we have been bought back by the blood of Jesus Christ. That in him there is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That Lord, we are no longer condemned because of Jesus Christ, but we're forgiven and we're set free And so, Father, help us to be like Peter, to just fall on our knees in front of you and just admit our sin and and receive the love and the mercy to hear you say, don't be afraid, to hear you say you love us, Lord, and it's in your most precious name we pray, amen.